Well, welcome everybody. Uh, today is February 24th, 2021. I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth Hitchcock Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. Uh, you can submit your questions on Facebook Live. And the title of our show today is Open, Ready, and Safe. Uh, my guests that I'm very excited about are some of my own colleagues, emergency nurses at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center, Jill Maynard and Alex Chaffin. Uh, just a quick little information about both of them. Jill is the Director of Nursing for the Emergency Department and Intensive Care Unit at SVMC. She has her Bachelor's in Nursing from Southern Vermont College in Bennington, and she joined SVMC nursing staff in 2004. Uh, Alex has been a nurse at SVMC since about 2010. Uh, she has an associate's in nursing from Vermont Technical College and anticipates graduating with a bachelor's in nursing from Castleton University this summer. Uh, welcome to you both. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So um, we'll go ahead and get started. First, I'm just noticing we all have the same background uh, with the SVMC logos in the back, which looks very professional. This is not how we normally work when we're seeing patients in the emergency department. Um, so Jill, I'll just start with you. Just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, uh, and a little bit of your background. Sure. Um, so I actually grew up locally. I grew up in Arlington. I attended Arlington schools and graduated from there. Um, so I have been uh, very active in the Bennington County community and um, at a very young age knew that uh, my professional career, I wanted it to focus on giving back to that community that I grew up in. That's awesome. And, and Alex, how about you? Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up right here in Bennington, um, actually right down the street from the hospital. Um, I attended the local schools, played sports, and worked locally in a restaurant that I'm sure I waited on most of you at, um, and found my way back here after nursing school, and I've been at SVMC ever since. That's great. Were you born here? I was in this hospital, as a matter of fact. Awesome. Yeah. Were you, Jill? Were you born here, Jill? I sure was. Wow, that is great. So, Al and Alex, you have a pretty big family, right? I do. Um, I am one of four children. Um, and one of my siblings also became a nurse and worked in the ER with us for a little bit before um, exploring a different avenue. That's great. So, so tell me, Alex, like what, what drew you specifically to nursing? You both talked about desire to service the community. Um, did you have an influence or were you watching a cool TV show one day or what, what happened? Yeah. So um, my mom was a nurse her entire life. So I was exposed from the womb on. <laughs> um, and initially when I was younger in high school, I didn't think I wanted to follow my mom's footsteps at all. Um, but as I continued to learn and go through my education, I realized that I love science and I love caring for people and nursing is a perfect combination of that. So here I am. That's great. And Jill, about a majority of your family works here at the hospital or has worked here. Isn't that right? They sure do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they, uh, they joined the local rescue squads. And so um, they're pretty ingrained in, in healthcare. It certainly makes for some pretty interesting Thanksgiving dinner uh, conversation. That's great. So tell me, um, so Jill, you're, you have some managerial responsibilities, uh, quite a few, but tell me about your typical work day. Uh, when do you get to work and, and what happens throughout the day? 
Sure, yeah. Um, the word typical. There's very few days that are actually typical in this world. Um, but uh, my workday varies and my hours vary. Um, the areas that I oversee are uh, 24-hour departments. And so um, I try to be able to connect with everyone on all of the shifts. Um, but I arrive to work. I try to get um, an understanding of sort of what's the current situation, where are we currently at, what are the current needs, um, I prepare for um, morning rounds uh, where I try to uh, stop into each of the units and, and uh, sort of get the vibe for the day. And then we have uh, organizational safety rounds uh, where all the department leaders come together and we discuss safety concerns across the organization. It sort of sets the tone for the day and helps us focus on the, the things that we, we may need to focus on. And then after that, um, it's a combination of things. I could be doing um, clinical in the ICU. I could be assisting in the emergency department. Um, there's administrative duties, um, uh, meetings, uh, project work, staffing, interviews, scheduling, uh, various different uh, aspects of managing a, a clinical unit that um, I find myself doing. So each day is a little bit different, which is exciting about it. You never really know when the pager is going to go off or there's going to be a knock at the door and someone's going to need something. That's great. So, so Alex, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, and as an emergency physician, of course, I know the answer to this because um, I happen to, you know, this is a subject that, that I know well, but uh, it's still something I get all the time. So when you're working in the emergency department, do, do people just come in dying all the time or what, what's happening? Lots of stab wounds and heart attacks? Yeah, so um, a typical day in the ER is not like you see on TV. You know, everyone that's coming in doesn't have limbs falling off and rare flesh-eating diseases. Um, but if you were to, we can certainly take care of you. Um, but we get everything. We can you know, see patients with a tick bite who needs a tick removed from, you know, the very serious to heart attacks and now COVID-19 patients who are critically ill and need our care. So um, I would say it's not as chaotic as people may think, um, but it's a well-organized dance that we're, that we do well. Well, that's a great way to put it. And, and of course, my experience too, I will say that when I first started here, I was I was kind of concerned, you know, do we really see emergencies in a small community? Well, first off, it's not that small, 25,000 visits per year. Uh, and there's not many hospitals in Vermont that have more than that. Uh, and second, we see plenty of pathology, but you just said it uh, better than I've heard before, a well-organized dance. I love that. Uh, so we're ready for the difficult situations as well as the what some people might think of as routine, but every patient to us is, is a new patient that has a need. So it's not like Gray's Anatomy or ER, I suppose. Uh, are the relationships between the nurses and physicians like those shows or no? Um, well, I would say that I've never worked with McDreamy, McSteamy, or George Clooney. Um, <laughs> and there's not as much drama as you see on those TV right. shows, but we do have you know, good friendships with the nurses, the techs, the doctors. Um, we all work really well together, but it's not as dramatized as the TV <laughs> show depicts. Well, that's super. And that's what we'd hope. Um, so what do you, what do you do, Jill? I'll start with you. What do you do uh, on days off and, and how do you spend your free time? Cause I imagine as an emergency nurse, you're constantly amped up and you need that time uh, to get away. Yeah. The days off are really important, but at the same time, it's really hard to convince yourself when you're off that you actually need to be off. Um, and over the course of the past year with the pandemic, um, it really shifted my focus and helped me 
understand that I really needed to uh, take care of myself and I needed to take those days off to enjoy them. So I actually have two young girls and they're very active and they're very busy. And um, so they keep me hopping on my days off, but we enjoy, we enjoy everything about uh, Vermont uh, four seasons. And so in the winter, we love to be outdoors. We love to snowshoe, um, ice fish, things that are exciting and help us get through the cold weather. Um, I recently was able to get them onto snowboards. I wish I did that years ago when they were little before they developed opinions, um, but uh, but we enjoy that. I also um, like to sort of spend some quiet time. Uh, being an emergency room nurse, your brain is constantly going and looking for things when you're off where you actually don't have to think about it and you can right. spend quiet time to relax and rejuvenate. So those are some of the things that I enjoy to do on my time off. That's great. Um, you know, work-life balance is actually for the, for the public listening in is something that over the past five years, nurses and, and doctors have been really trying to focus on, on well-being. And then of course the pandemic hit all of us uh, and, and has affected that some. Alex, what do you do? I, I see you running by my house in the dark often, but what do you do in your free time? Yeah, so um, I spend most of my free time with um, my significant other and stepdaughter doing outdoor things. Um, in the winter, we're at Prospect every weekend skiing, and this winter has lended itself beautifully to great conditions. Um, and then when it, there's not five feet of snow, um, I'm running, cycling, doing whatever I can do outside to stay active, keep my body moving, and kind of, you know, hitting on what Jill said, things that you know, are good for self-care, but don't require a lot of in-depth thinking and thought process. You kind of just get outside and breathe the fresh air and relax. That's great. So when you're, when you've been in over the years practicing, and this is something we kind of talked about before, um, I'll just sort of open it. Do you have a particular uh, story where either you had a a patient that that, um, really impacted you, whether that was in a positive or negative way? And if so, can you share one of those? I tell you, just I get that question all the time at dinner, not from my family, but from friends. Say, tell me, tell me cool things that happened in the emergency department. I end up typically telling them something they're not interested in as much, but it impacted me. So uh, I'll start with you, Alex. Do you have any of those stories? Um, I do. Um, both of my parents fell ill when I was at it very young. Um, actually, Trey, you cared for my father when he was in the emergency department after one of his strokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've since passed away. But I think about every single patient as one of my family members. You know, every person we see is a someone's brother or sister or father, and they deserve to be cared the way we care for our loved ones. And that's kind of what I carry with every day. Um, every patient impacts me in one way or another, but again, I think about them as being one of my own. And that's why you're such an excellent nurse as our, our entire team in this health organization. Um, Jill, do you have anything to add to that from your own experiences? So I would agree with everything that Alex said. And one of the things that I love about SVMC and being a nurse in this emergency department is that we have the opportunity to see every patient as a person. And um, every single one of them impacts us in some way, regardless of the reason that they're here. And um, there have been many situations over the course of my career that I've taken something with me, but it feels like I always um, am provided the opportunity that I need in that moment. And what I mean by that is that when I'm rushing through life and I'm forgetting, um, you know, maybe where my priorities should lie, I have a patient that sort of reminds me of that. 
And there was a situation very early in my career was a young parent with a terminal illness. And um, this parent reminded me that uh, of the things that they might have done differently had they known that their time with their children would be cut short. And those are things that I've taken with me, such as um, get in the picture. Uh, many moms are guilty of not getting on the other side of the camera. We have all kinds of reasons why we take pictures of our children, but we don't get in them. And mm -hmm. so it's something that um, I, I carried with me. So a lot of lessons, you know, we've seen, um, a lot of, of sadness, a lot of hurt, but also a lot of relief and a lot of happiness. And um, sort of every patient provides the opportunity to take a, a little thing with us. And, and those patients become part of sort of who we are professionally and personally. And it's definitely a great honor in this profession. I just have to tell you, I mean, although I've experienced all those things, the picture thing I had not thought of before or heard of, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, I'm going to have to start doing it because I don't think I'm in any pictures. Uh, I think I'm taking them. So I appreciate that uh, advice. Uh, speaking of advice, I know that there are some folks that will be listening to this, if not live, but downloadable. Um, the the, the um, show is available as a podcast and pretty soon will be up at all of the major um, podcast outlets such as Spotify and, and Apple. And some may be interested in going into a healthcare career, uh, including nursing. Um, and let me just start with Alex. Do you have you know, one or two pieces of advice uh, for these folks? Yeah, um, I would say do it. If you are interested in the medical field, specifically nursing at all, go for it. I mean, this career is amazing. You get to help people every single day in their most vulnerable time. And opportunities are endless in this career. I mean, it opens so many doors for you and there's so many different things you can do. Um, I would just say go for it. That's great. Jill, anything to add? Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And um, there, there is a place for everyone. And there, there's a reason that there's so many different aspects of nursing. So even if you don't want to be an emergency nurse, which I highly encourage you to, uh, <laughs> there, there's, an, there's a place for you. So definitely explore it, go into it. As soon as you're interested, get involved, get involved in the local community, join the rescue squad, come join us as a patient safety associate, um, get a feel for it, do some observation time. Uh, it's really, really eye-opening to actually get into healthcare and start looking at all the opportunities and see where you might fit. That's great. Um... And I can say, too, one advantage of, of nursing and, and other careers in, in medicine, you can go into it without uh, a deciding factor of what you're going to do exactly. So that's what I think Jill was alluding to. Go into it, you know, have your interests, but be open and have an open mind to, to other aspects of the career because it's huge. Um, in nursing, you can be outpatient, you can be inpatient, you can be doing uh, political um, aspects, so managerial aspects. So I think that's great. But of course, you will end up in the emergency department because it is the best place <laughs> to be. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the emergency department back in late February and then March and April. And I'll just kind of open this up without a specific question. But uh, Jill, I'll go to you. What in the world was going on and what were you thinking, not only in your managerial role, but in your leadership role to support others uh, and your responsibilities with safety and well-being? Um, yeah, uh, February, March, April, May, they were some of the most challenging months um, as a nursing leader. And there were so many components of it that just made it challenging. Not only did I have the personal aspect of the schools closing, my children now need to be remote, 
remote learners, um, but I'm also a nursing director and one of the most important areas of our organization at the front door of the hospital. And um, my prior experience, I did some emergency preparedness. So when COVID first uh, came about in the news, it kind of reminded me of when we went through Ebola and how do we prepare for this? And we, we had sort of done some of this before. But then when we got word that we had our first COVID positive patient here in the hospital, it really made things real. And um, my first thought was, we are not ready for a pandemic. However, as I look back and reflect, the one thing that I realize is we were ready. And we were ready because of some of the things that we do every day. And in the moment, though, I couldn't see that. But we weren't prepared for what you know, 2020 held, but what we were prepared for is managing complex medical situations, managing large amounts of patients that needed care. We were nimble and flexible. We were prepared to retrofit our facility to accommodate the needs of the pandemic. There were many things that we were actually prepared for, but back during those few months, um, it certainly felt like we'd never done this before and how are we ever gonna get through it? Um, but the organization as a whole has has such a great structure. We have an incident command structure. Uh, we had never really relied on it the way that we have had to for this pandemic, but we, we were ready. We, we just had to take it as, a, as, as the information became available. So there was a lot going through my mind. Um, it was incredibly stressful trying to figure out um, how do I learn how to lead through a pandemic while um, keeping staff um, upbeat, positive, making sure they had the equipment that they needed, the education that they needed. There in the beginning, the information was changing every day. And so it required us to look at, at things like how do we even communicate and the, what we had been doing may not work now. And we had to implement multiple huddles per day and creative ways to communicate. So there was a lot going on during those few months. And um, I look back now and and think how gracefully we handled it and, and how well we did, um, even though in the moment it didn't always feel that way. Yes, well, you know, Jill, I'll say it since you didn't, your, your leadership in helping uh, that anxiety level and acknowledging it and recognizing it, as well as uh, making sure the focus was on safety uh, is one of the reasons for that success. So Alex, what can you add? And, and you can be as personal as you want here. I know my heart palpitations were going were going on just like the rest of the community. But in particular, you know, my biggest fear was that people would come in and we would not have the staff and resources to take care of them. So, you know, what happened in, in your, from your vantage point over those months? Yeah. So, I mean, I was scared just like everybody else. There was so much unknown about this, um, about COVID-19 that we soon learned much about. Um, but I can tell you every single day coming to work, um, because of Jill's leadership and the rest of SVMC's leadership, I felt safe and prepared to care for everybody. I mean, it's really amazing to look back and see how much work this organization did to keep us safe, to keep the community safe, how much planning went into effect. And um, really, that was the forefront of everybody's thought. It wasn't, you know, where can we cut corners? It was, we're doing this and we'll look back after and be thankful that we might not need it. Um, and I think I, out of everything, I felt the most safe coming to work. Um, and I felt pride coming and being a part of this team that was ready to take on the responsibility of this unknown. It was, 
it continues to be great, but looking back in that February, March, April period, um, it was just overwhelming. Yeah, in a good absolutely. Way. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we saw um, during that time, and we still see a little bit today, is that people are delaying their uh, non-COVID-related healthcare concerns. And then, unfortunately, in the emergency department, we see some of the aftermath of that. Can you tell us a little advice, maybe based on what you've seen or, or what you've uh, heard from your colleagues on the dangers of waiting too long for routine medical care and emergent medical care? Yeah, so my advice to you is don't wait. <laughs> um, we're here and we're ready to care for you. Um, if you're concerned or you're not sure if you should come to the emergency room, um, maybe start with a call to your primary care doctor just to say, hey, this is what's going on. What should I do? But if you're not able to get a hold of them or you, you don't want to take that avenue, um, then seek us out. We're here and we're ready. Um, and we, we want to care for you. We much rather, you know, us see you and be able to send you on your way um, and have a good rest of your day than to wait and delay something that inevitably could not be reversed. That's great. And uh, Jill, you had kind of, well, you both alluded to some of the uh, precautions and, and really uh, changes that we've adopted during COVID. And some of those will, will certainly go away, but some will persist. Can you just uh, give us some, what, what your crystal ball says on things that will persist in healthcare? So I think um, uh, personal protective equipment, wearing uh, personal protective equipment, um, uh, will persist. I also think that some of the safety measures that we put in place um, to ensure that we were open, ready, and safe to care for both COVID and non-COVID patients will persist. One of the, um, we retrofitted an area that used to be outside of our cafeteria as a well waiting. Of course, we never want patients to have to wait in our waiting room. We want to be able to get them right back and get the care that they need. But should we need to use a waiting room, we wanted to find us a way to be able to have patients that were, were exhibiting symptoms such as fever or cough uh, separated from those patients that might need an x-ray or um, have a laceration repaired. And so we, we have created two separate spaces for that. And as we move forward and look at our new ED construction, that is something that will persist. Also, the ability to um, delineate rooms where we have we have the need for an enhanced precautions and we're able to actually cohort uh, sick patients so that we can actually separate sick from well, I think that that'll also persist. So essentially mechanisms to provide reassurance and safety um, that patients can seek us out if they are having um, uh, medical needs that aren't necessarily infectious. Yeah, it's great. And I totally agree with that. Um, you know, I do think things will revert pretty quickly. People have heard me say that uh, once vaccination becomes, uh, you know, more, much more widespread, but some of the things that will persist uh, in healthcare settings, especially and potentially in other, you know, uh, locations where people are, are tightly close together are, is mask wearing, for example, you know, before COVID, if one of us was sick as an emergency department staff, uh, a nurse or a doctor, but okay to be at work, we would wear a mask, but you just didn't see it that much. I think we'll see it, uh, you know, persist and that's the right thing. And the same with putting the masks on patients who, who are ill. Well, let's shift gears a little bit before we run out of time um, and talk a little bit about, we've talked about the emergency department. We've talked about uh, COVID and the things that will, that will um, persist here. And we're starting to get some questions in 
And, uh, and most of these are related to the current pandemic now. So I'll kind of answer some of these. I encourage someone uh, or everyone on Facebook Live, if you have questions uh, on the uh, vaccine, on COVID, or on nursing in the emergency department, the emergency department itself, please send those in. We have a few more minutes here. Uh, the first, I'm not sure the name on this, but the, the question is, um, do you think people who get the vaccine will be protected uh, against the variants? And let me just... Let me just talk about that a little bit. All of the vaccines studied so far that are being considered for use in the United States and in Europe have shown um, uh, protection against the variants for severe disease that includes hospitalizations and deaths. And that's what we're really concerned about. Um, the, the news today that Johnson & Johnson was uh, reviewed by the FDA who support the results of Johnson & Johnson's uh, study, it was a global study, it occurred in uh, many places around the world, including South Africa, with the variant that we've all heard about that, that people are concerned may be resistant. The efficacy against preventing mild disease was not uh, 100%. It was more in the 60%. But with mild disease, that's a sore throat. Uh, that's something you may not have even noticed. What it has been effective at and all the vaccines against all the variants thus far is preventing people from dying and preventing people from being hospitalized. And that is just enormous. If we knew this, um, you know, back in the summer, we would be so excited about it. It's such a great thing. Uh, also, um, the results of the Johnson Johnson, remember, that's a delayed study compared to the Pfizer and the Moderna. Uh, they weren't studied at a time when there was high variance. So it's likely that they are all highly effective at presenting, preventing death uh, and disease, uh, but that subtle uh, fevers and sore throats may still come through. And that is no different than any vaccine, you know, we have going today where people get minor, minor symptoms. Um, the next question is, well, uh, this is on the same token, will variants prolong the pandemic? Uh, that's definitely a crystal ball question. I can say that right now, it appears the answer to that is no, because of um, our ability to quickly vaccinate in first world countries. And then it, the answer is yes, in parts of the world that are going to be delayed in getting the vaccine. And that's very unfortunate. It shows the uh, economic disparity that this that this pandemic is really bringing about. So once we get our population vaccinated here, uh, I'm just putting forward, I know all of medicine, doctors and nurses are really gonna be supporting uh, us getting out and helping these other countries uh, to vaccinate because first off, it's in their best interest. And second, it's in our best interest as well. Um, and then one of the last questions is, how will PPE change in school systems? Uh, and then we already talked about health systems. And the answer to that is, it is likely that people will need to continue to wear masks in certain settings until people in those settings are vaccinated. And so it may be requirements for schools, uh, may be required to get on an airplane. It may be required to work in certain businesses. Again, that's no different than MMR uh, and other vaccines that we've had available out there. So we are, um, we are out of time. We've done our 30 minutes. Um, I'd really like to thank everyone for joining us today on Medical Matters Weekly, uh, especially our guests, Jill and Alex. Thank you so much. Um, as well as Mike Cutler from CAT TV, uh, Ray Smith uh, from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.